start this Advent season that really is, in many ways, um, an awkward, hard, difficult passage to begin Advent. It is a passage where Jesus talks about the return, the second coming, speaks about the things that are going to transpire, and speaks in cataclysmic, grandiose terms about the heavenly bodies shaking signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. It's a big passage and it's a difficult passage. Difficult for a variety of reasons. One of the reasons it's difficult for me is because I don't know how many times you can have a sign held up or a banner wave that says Jesus is coming soon and it not happens soon before you begin to stop listening to the message, Jesus is coming soon. Maybe that's not an issue for you, but for somebody in a robe to say the end is near and the end never seems to come, you stop paying attention to signs. You stop listening to some of the things that arise out of Scripture, which is dangerous. It's dangerous on both ends of the spectrum. It's dangerous to be so consumed by it that you begin to think you understand the future when Scripture clearly says that we don't know what the future holds. But it's also on the other end of the spectrum dangerous to not pay attention to warning signs that come and to what is presented in Scripture as very important truths concerning the times we face. Circumstances come up that make us think, wow, we're right in the middle of what's been predicted. Wars and rumors of wars, nations fighting against nations, unrest that happens in the Middle East, but when has there not been unrest in the Middle East? It doesn't make it less important. It doesn't make it um, something to which we stop giving attention because people's lives are affected. But it does seem like it gets stretched out longer and longer. And so warning signs start to no longer be heeded. You stop listening. You think, yeah, 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 I've heard that before. Just go on about my daily business. For those of you that have flown on a commercial flight sometime in the last decade, you are probably aware of the warnings they give at the beginning of a flight. For those that are first-time flyers, you can usually pick them out pretty well. They are very, very attentive. I think some of them take notes. They will read the card that's in the seat back in front of you. They follow the instructions very closely, and then there are those who are rather jaded having flown so many times and heard the instructions over and over again, and they've stopped listening. They have a difficult time pulling away from the magazine article that captured their attention or the nap that they have already begun or pull out the earphones to listen to what's being said and have ceased paying attention because it doesn't seem like the urgent issue is ever going to come to pass. We had um, a young adult event, I'm told, that happened in the last couple of weeks 
whereby uh, the vehicle that most of them were in were, was stopped. And we had a few who were in the very back of that minivan who were cited for the seatbelt not being appropriately or attached in the right way. Kind of put a real damper on the event and threw off those individuals, which I understand because it's no fun being assessed a fine for um, something that you have a tough time paying attention to when you're just pulling out of a parking lot. It has made me think that maybe I need to give a little speech, much like the stewardesses at the beginning of any time that I drive. People get into the vehicle and just draw their attention to the front and say, on behalf of the captain and crew of this trip to the mall, I want to welcome you to this trip that we're taking. Um, I would like you to take the metal end of the seatbelt and insert it into the slot that's right to your side and make sure that the belt is um, snugly across your lap and uncomfortably tight across your chest. You'll find that there are four exits, two in the front and two in the back. You're most likely seated next to one of them. Please familiarize yourself with the handles and the way by which you can exit. Though we do not anticipate a drop in abdominal air pressure, if one should occur, there will not be any oxygen mass that dropped from the ceiling. Just roll down your window and the smell should dissipate pretty quickly. If you're traveling with children, roll your window down first and then quickly blame it on the child. If you're traveling with a dog, just keep the window down. That's why they hang their head out the window. If we happen to have a water landing, you do need to know that that probably means I took a wrong turn on Hill Street. This vehicle does not float, so each person is out for him or herself to try and make your way out of the vehicle. I doubt I'll make that speech. I probably shouldn't have made it here. But if I said it enough times, people would stop listening to that speech. We, as a church have called people to certain things over and over again with warning signs. And sometimes the warning signs no longer are heeded because we see no evidence of their need. Because we point to something that has been a long time in coming. But that's not the only reason it seems that there are some who are reluctant to even communicate the warning signs because of what it implies. Jonah was one of those told to give warnings to the Ninevites. He wasn't really interested in doing it because he didn't like the Ninevites and he was hoping they would get destroyed. But he also thought, if I warn them and they change their ways, God, I know you're a gracious God, and you'll relent, and nothing will happen, and then I'll look like a fool for having even mentioned it. Interesting. To get the result for which you desire, but as a result, you're left in a place where it feels like you're the fool. We're in a dangerous place at either end of the spectrum to completely ignore the consequences of actions and behaviors and pretend like there are no consequences, or at the other end of the extreme, to think that we know how every consequence is going to play itself out. 
that we have it figured out and we can tell exactly what's going to occur. Neither one of those is the right posture. The right posture, it seems to me from Scripture, is to be very attentive to what we are doing and to realize that there are consequences that we don't always know when they will happen and how they will happen, but that they will inevitably happen. And that God has called us to live a particular way so that it might be possible that God's kingdom can come to earth now. We heard in that wonderful reading for the Advent candle lighting that there are three movements that we look at during this Advent season. One is this anticipation of the celebration of Christ coming as the baby Jesus born that we might have eternal life, laying down his life, that we might be saved, forgiven, redeemed. The second movement is the invitation that God might dwell within, that the Spirit might live within us and be born in us. And the third, the anticipation of Christ's return. And that somehow in Christ's return, we might see the redemption for which we long. In thinking about this Advent season, I had a thought that troubles me on one hand, but it gives me hope in a different way. It, it took me back to the beginning of Scripture, Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form, was a void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And he separated the light from the darkness, and the light he called day, and the darkness he called night. And God said, it was good. We then read the rest of the creation story, and it says that God formed the sun and the moon and the stars in the sky. He separated the waters from the land. He created all of the vegetation that grows and created the creatures to populate the sea and the air and the land. He created humankind, male and female, he created them in his own image. And he looked and he said, it is good. And then he rested from all that was done in creation. It says that God took Adam and Eve, placed them in the garden, and he gave them a choice, the freedom to choose. This freedom to choose gives them the capacity to love but it also gives them the capacity to choose not to love. And I'll have to say that I have been inspired and moved, challenged by some of the most incredible acts of love in history, in this congregation, among the people of this city and country, to see the ways in which people sacrificially give themselves in acts of love. But I've also observed and read and witnessed some of the most incredible atrocities that people 
can act upon other people. Horrific things that come with that freedom of choice. I don't know that this is what creation is waiting for, but it doesn't say anything after he gives them that choice that God says, and it was good. I wonder if all of history that has unfolded in the days that are yet to unfold, that we are moving toward God's complete redemption of giving us that freedom. So that somehow at the end of all that God does, there will be a time when all of us speak with God and say, that was good. But it's tough to look way into the future when right now, for some of us, the circumstances are so horrific. I mean, it's great to talk about laws that will be enacted in the next few years that will help with the problem and the issues and the atrocities of human trafficking. And I'm glad that we're working toward that end, but what about the person today that's caught in that? How does that help them with today's circumstances? It's great that we may be addressing some issues of global slavery or or trying to solve the problem and hope that in the next decade or two we will make a huge difference in the area of hunger or clean water. I hope that takes place. But what about the person today who's in the midst of that? It's really difficult to speak in wonderful terms about that hopeful day that's to come when today there is hurt and pain and destruction, atrocities taking place. This passage of Scripture speaks to, I think, multiple layers of our condition. I think it speaks about a big picture that Jesus is saying, speaking about the global systems of the world and a redemption that's coming when Jesus' return changes the systems that we now understand and creates a new heaven and a new earth. But I also think that he was speaking to the people of that time and the circumstances they were facing. Because some of the things that Jesus said did come to pass in the generation that heard it spoken. This passage says, I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass away until all of these things come to pass. What were some of the things that he spoke about? Well, we have in Luke several passages where Jesus speaks about the last days. Luke chapter 17 gives some very interesting specific details. Earlier in this chapter, at the beginning of chapter 1, We are told of a number of things concerning wars and rumors of wars and some of the details about which he speaks. He makes an assertion about the beautiful temple in which they worshipped. The temple for the people that had been built by Herod to win their approval. I'm told that it may have been as tall as ten stories high. I don't know that. I'm not sure that any of us knows it because... 
Nothing was left of the temple after 70 AD. Every block was taken off of one another. It was completely and utterly destroyed. Jesus spoke about that. He spoke about the desecration of the temple, which occurred when a statue of one of the rulers was set up in the temple itself, desecrating the temple. And Jesus said, when you see these things happen, be alert, be aware, because... Persecution is coming so great that you won't even have time to go inside the house and get your belongings. It's going to split families and neighborhoods. And it did. But not all that Jesus said came to pass in that span of time. No one saw Jesus coming on a cloud in power and glory. No one saw the heavenly bodies shaking. There were signs. But there were things that are still yet to come. So there is this application about warnings, signs, be prepared. There was a wonderful admonition to a group of people about what was coming within their generation. But I think that there is also a message that was to the individual of that day and to the individual today. A message for you and me. A message that relates to our circumstances and whatever it is that we are facing. So hear this passage with ears that stop thinking about the other person And consider for a moment how God's Spirit might be addressing your journey this morning. It says that there will be signs. It says signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. But even here on the earth, nations will be in anguish. Let's personalize it. I'm not assuming it's true of everyone here. I doubt that it is. But there are some this morning that anguish is a pretty appropriate word for your journey. I'm privileged to know some of the circumstances that some of you face. And that some are here in spite of that anguish. Next adjective that's used is perplexed. Pretty good description for some of us coming out of a family holiday weekend with all its good and difficulties, all its joys, and sometimes being incredibly perplexed at family dynamics or other life circumstances you face. The next verse 27 speaks of people who will faint in terror or who are apprehensive about what is coming. Wow, that hits home for a lot of us. For some of us, that the foundations, the things that we thought were certain have been shaken. What seemed like a certainty is no longer a certainty. 
What seemed like a for sure, now all of a sudden is a maybe or likely not. Or something we thought was always a given is no longer a given. That's what this passage is saying. And it says, when you see this happening, look for Jesus. Look for him in his power. Look for him in his glory. Stand up, lift up your heads, for your redemption is close by. This is not the moment where Jesus has forsaken you, where God has disappeared, where the heavenlies have gone silent. That's not the case. It may feel that way. It may appear that way, but it's not the truth. The truth is that Jesus is near and your redemption is close at hand. In fact, Jesus gives us this parable. He says, look at the fig tree. Look at all of the trees. When you see the sprouting of the leaves, you know that this is true, that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happen, know this. The kingdom of God is near. And I tell you the truth, that this, what you're going through, it can't stand up against my word. Heaven and earth can pass away, but not my word. My word is true. My promises are true. So be careful, this passage says. Be careful that your heart doesn't get heavy and weight you down as a result of carousing, drunkenness, the anxieties of this life. In other words, be careful that you don't try and numb yourself and look the other way. But face it, head on. Be careful that you don't go seeking after all of the things that mankind has made and neglect the things that God has made. Be careful that the anxieties of your life don't garner your full attention because if those things begin to happen, suddenly you'll find yourself trapped by the very thing that you've allowed yourself to be consumed by. And not just you, but that's true of everyone on the face of the earth. That's what Scripture says. But for you, watch. Be prayerful. Ask God for deliverance. Seek God's spirit. And then you'll be able to stand with the Son of Man. There are so many layers to this passage, this notion of something that's bigger than we are. I'm so glad I'm part of a story that's bigger than my story. Because I'm not sure my story is worth reading by anybody. But when my story gets wrapped into God's story and your story, all of a sudden it starts to be something. Something that can change the course of the future. Something that can transform the places where I live, and if enough of us are doing that, the places where we live, and if enough of us are doing that, change the lives of others who desperately need hope. I can do something in my life. It is a story about a big picture, a picture of a group of people 
But it's also a message to us individually. A message that is wonderful with which to start the Advent season. A message that says, let's be people who expect to find God in the midst of whatever perplexes you, has created anguish in your life, makes you feel like the foundations have been shaken, make you wonder about the future. Jesus is near. Stand tall. Lift up your heads. Our redemption is nearby. God is at work and is it not left nor forsaken. That's a lie. The truth is, God is with us. Emmanuel. Father. Father, into this season we come. Some of us longing for a bit of hope. Hope in the midst of headlines and news reports that feel overwhelming. Statistics that we read about that feel suffocating. Systems of which we are a part but we don't know how to escape. And so we just put one foot in front of the other and try to do our best. So Lord, I pray that your spirit help bring us back to our circumstances, that our life does make a difference, that the way fathers create safe spaces for their family and yield themselves fully to you to protect the members of their family. We take responsibility for whatever we play in the home. To follow your precepts and your admonitions to love as you've called us to love, to set boundaries as you've called us to set boundaries. To exhibit a spirit that reflects you and in so doing, create homes that are sanctuaries. Whether we live alone or with multi-generations, God, help us to be alert and attentive. Help us to not ignore our next door neighbor or the person we meet in the restaurant or the grocery store. Help us to put into practice the things we say we believe. Let us speak up when we need to speak up, regardless the cost. Let us take a stand when we need to take a stand. For Lord, if we spend our time waiting for your return, we've missed the opportunity for you to return through us. May it be possible for you to return through our acts of kindness, through our acts of hope, through our acts of sacrificial giving, 
God, would it be possible that you might look on our life and say, oh, it is good. When choice is used in that way, it conquers, it wins, it brings about redemption. Father, may this start of a new year give us fresh resolve not to do it on our own, but to do it in the power of your spirit and to do it with one another, to help one another be all that you created us to be, to see your image stamped on one another, to truly be yours. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity to hear your instructions and your cautions and to put good practices into place for whatever we're facing this week. The call to pray. The call to ask for your help. The call to put our trust in you. The call to look for you in our circumstances. And the call to stand with you and before you. May that be the mark of this season and the year to come. We thank you, Lord. And we praise your name. As the musicians come.